And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Thanks again for joining me. Today, we're sitting down with Michelle Seiler-Tucker, who is the founder and CEO of Seiler-Tucker Incorporated. She holds an M and AMI Mergers and Acquisitions Master Immediary title, as well as Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional, so CM and AP. Uh, she is a Certified Senior Business Analyst, CSBA, and she has been working in not only the startup space, but more exciting for me, actually, is the the exiting. So where are you bringing that startup once it scales and grows and now you want to have an exit event? So she is a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry. She's regarded as leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, growing businesses. Uh, her and her firm have sold over, get this, a thousand businesses in almost every vertical and have a remarkable track record of success. Uh, she's going to speak about, like I said, sustainable, scalability, uh, sellable, building these sellable businesses. and Basically, the techniques that she has repeated again and again and again with lots of entrepreneurs. So this is an interesting one because, like, Michelle, thank you for joining me. But I'm curious to speak with you because most people speak about how to build a business. And they don't have that vision or that exit event in mind, which I think they should. But, you know, I want to hear more yeah. about that. But first, tell me your story. How do you get into this? All right. Well, thanks, Scott, for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I, I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, my God, I'm going to sell businesses. <laughs> but I always knew as a kid that I was going to be my own boss. I was going to be an entrepreneur. And I didn't really come from a family of entrepreneurs. I mean, my dad owned his own business, and that was about it. Um, but, you know, I always knew that I, I knew what I liked. You know, even as a kid, I never played with toys. I never played with dolls. And my mom like, and my mom's like, what? what's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, no, mom, that's the wrong question. You should be asking what's right with me. And so I would walk around with a notebook and a pen and everything and ask everybody a million questions, right? I would just walk up to strangers and start asking questions. And so my mom's like, oh, my gosh, she's going to be the next Barbara Walters. <laughs> so I knew I liked people and I knew I liked writing. And I would always ask people, what's your problem? Let me, let me fix it for you. And this was at seven years old, eight years old. So I always knew I was going to be a, a people person, a problem solver, a writer, an entrepreneur, because I don't like, you know, I don't like anybody telling me what to do. Like, that's my biggest pet peeve is somebody telling me what to do. <laughs> I mean, even with my husband of 25 years, I'm like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and so it's um, so anyway, so I've always owned businesses. And I've owned businesses in different cat in different industries, different verticals. Um, but I did kind of get caught up in corporate America Xerox recruited me. I went to work for Xerox. I said, you know what? Let me try this corporate position, Fortune 500. And so I did that. I was there for about six months in sales. And um, 
my nickname became the closer because every time they couldn't close something, they would come to me and say, Michelle, go close this deal. You're the closer. So I was the closer. And then my manager came to me and she said, you should really throw your hat in the ring and interview for the vice president regional position for Xerox. She goes, you will never get it because you've been here six months and Xerox doesn't promote when somebody's only been here six months, you're up against people who have been here five, 10, 15 years. I said, well, if, I, if I'm not going to get it, why would I do it? You know, why would I waste my time? And she says, well, it's a three-month grueling process. She goes, but it is a learning process, and you'll learn more doing this than anything else. And, you know, everybody knows Xerox has, like, one of the best training programs in the world, mm-hmm. right? So I threw my name in the hat, and she was right. It was a three-month grueling process. And, you know, we had to meet with all the top-level executives at Xerox around, all around the world and do Q&As, presentations, demonstrations of their equipment to them. So it was very pressure and a lot of pressure. And I ended up getting it when everybody said I wouldn't get it. So I guess I truly am the closer. So After six what, months at Xerox, it's not bad. I know. That's not bad. But, <laughs> and then, but what happened was Xerox did what most companies should never do. You don't take your top salesperson and promote them to management. Big mistake. And I didn't like it. When I went into management, I'm like, oh, my gosh. All we're doing is setting meetings to have more meetings, to schedule more follow-up meetings. All we're doing is meetings. So we weren't doing what I love anymore. Like, we weren't meeting with the clients. We weren't building lifetime relationships. So I told my husband, I said, I really, really miss entrepreneurship, but I don't want to leave my six-figure career with great benefits, right? And so I stumbled across a franchise. That had two locations, and my husband knew the, the owner, and I said, look, I want to buy a franchise, operate it on the side. And they said, no, we don't want you to buy a franchise. We want you to partner with us because we know of your, you, your reputation. We know you're the closer, and um, partner with us, and we'll give you a franchise. And I said, wow. I said, well, I'm not going to leave Xerox for a franchise order that has two locations, <laughs> you know, because you're not very successful. So I said, I'll, do, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll try it for six months. Because you don't have to say yes or say no. Sometimes there's a middle road, right, that you can mm-hmm. take. So I said, let me keep my great position here because I was climbing up the Xerox ladder really quickly. And I said, let me try it for six months and see what happens. Within six months, I sold so many franchises, I quadrupled my salary at Xerox. So then it became a no-brainer to leave Xerox, partner with this franchisor, and, and they gave me a franchise. Now, here's the problem. A lot of business owners will start a business, but they never build the foundation. They never put in the infrastructure for it to succeed. So they focus on sell, 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 sells. But what happens when you get all these clients coming in and you don't have the infrastructure? So they were over-promising, under-delivering. They weren't servicing the franchisees. And I realized very quickly that our values weren't aligned. So at that point, I said, buy me out. So then I said, well, gosh, what am I going to do now? So then I said, I'll just transition to selling businesses. How much harder can it be? Mm. So then I transitioned to selling companies, small businesses at first, and I transitioned very quickly to selling large businesses and then learned that what Steve Forbes said is true. Eight out of 10 businesses don't sell. And by the way, Steve Forbes endorsed my book, Exit Rich. So I said, if I don't fix them and grow them and build to sell, I'm going to starve to death and have to go back to Xerox. (laughs) So that's my story. I like the story. And it's interesting how um, one point that I just want to take out of that is that you didn't go full into entrepreneurship and just totally negate your job. Like when you did that, when you took the franchise and you started and you were successful at it, eventually you still did it 
smartly. You did it the correct way and you sort of dipped your toe into the water, you know, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then you found out it was successful. You sort of took that. That's a, that's a smart entrepreneurial lesson because I think that people sometimes, like you said, they start businesses, they don't know what they're doing. They put all their life savings or their energy into it and they just quit their job and they go full tilt. That's, that's usually if they don't have the right mentorship, that's going to screw them up, screw them over really. Um, okay. So you found out that you're good at selling businesses. Um, what, what is the, what is the market? What is the industry? Who are your competitors? Are you, are you competing with lawyers or who else does what you do? No, I'm not competing with lawyers at all. I never compete with lawyers. Um, Typically, other M&A advisors, you know, I belong to M&A source, so other M&A advisors, mm -hmm. other brokers from time to time, sometimes investment bankers. Um, those are my competitors, really. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not a really competitive industry. It's not like a lot of other industries, like real estate is so competitive. Everybody sells real estate. So it's not as competitive as, as you would think. I mean, there's 32 million businesses in the United States. And there's probably 3,000, you know, brokerage firms, M&A firms. So how do you choose which businesses that you want to help sell? What's the business so, that you go after? Yeah, and I don't just sell businesses. I, I want to just uh, make that clear. Yeah. I also, so I really specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing. So okay. I buy businesses and flip them. I also partner with business owners because there are a lot of businesses that are not sellable for the price tag that the owner needs to exit his, their business. So I'll partner with business owners, investing my money, resources, time, energy, effort, and um, expertise. Mm -hmm. Or like I said, I'll buy and flip. Or I'll say, look, this is your plan. Build, this is what you need to do. Come back to me when you're done. <laughs> yeah. And now we have an online build to sell course that we're finalizing so business owners can walk through that course. So the way that I decide who I'm going to sell is, is me personally, my, my businesses that I focus on are typically $10 million and up in purchase price, but I have a team of analysts and, and, and a team of agents, and they'll sell smaller businesses. Um, but for me, for my company to decide to take on a client, you know, they've got, the owner has to be realistic. The owner has to understand valuation. If they want $20 million for their business and their business is worth $5 million, then either they're going to have to work with us at $5 million or not work with us at all. There are plenty of brokers and advisors that will take that engagement and just put it on the market and hope somebody educates their seller. I don't do that. If mm -hmm. my sellers are not um, coachable from the beginning, and if they're not gonna listen to my expertise, then I really don't want them as clients. They're gonna ruin my statistics too. Yeah, that's true. No, it's, <laughs> a, it's a good, good point. It's a, it's a good point. And yeah. actually, I sort of got ahead of myself. I got excited about trying to figure out you know, who your you know, target customer is. You mentioned I was actually watching before we jumped on this. I watched your sizzle, your sizzle reel on your on YouTube, I think, and you made a really good point. And you do a lot of keynote speaking, which is that you know that's impressive because I think that this is something that entrepreneurs have to hear. You said a lot of people build themselves a job and not a business. Let's yeah. start. That's like sort of like the basics. So what does that mean? What do entrepreneurs screw up? So that is the basis, and that's one of the biggest reasons that businesses are not sellable, that eight out of 10 businesses don't sell, because entrepreneurs have built themselves a job, meaning that the business is attached to them. They're doing everything. And I'll give you some examples. Let's say you have a dental practice, one dentist, dental hygienist. You pull that one dentist out of the dental practice. Is there a business? No. 
Mm-hmm. The dentist has created a job to where he goes to work every day. He hasn't created a business that works for him. He can't take long vacations. He can't leave his practice. And that's a job. That's not a business. Same thing with chiropractor. You know, we're trying to sell a chiropractic clinic right now. They had two chiropractors. And the owner was just so confident that those two chiropractors were staying. And guess what? They're not. So now we're back to square one. So you got to build a business that can operate without you. And that's the first P that we talk about the six P's, the ST six P's in Exit Rich is people. You got to build a business. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. Otherwise, you just have a glorified job. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah. And actually, you know, that I was going to, that's a good segue into that point because you have frameworks and models. And of course, these frameworks are meant for exiting. You know, that, that is your bread and butter. Like you at one point want to have a transaction for the business. But there's two models that you mentioned. We've had before. There's GPS exit model and six P. These are proprietary. You sort of built these over your career. This is what you teach entrepreneurs. I think these are good models to go through regardless of having that exit plan today. Because I think these are just really, really good frameworks for building successful businesses, period. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I would love to like just sort of dissect at a high level. Obviously, you can't go into all yeah. the detail on, on the podcast, but at a high level, what are these frameworks? Which one do you want to start with? Yeah, we'll start with the GPS exit model because then it kind of leads into the six Ps. Okay. All right. So um, an exit rich is not just about selling your business. Because like you said earlier, whether you want to sell now or later, Exit Rich is actually about building a sustainable, scalable asset so that you actually have something to sell when you're ready. Mm-hmm. There are so many business owners that would love to sell, but they're being forced to sell for pennies on a dollar, close their business, or file bankruptcy. You know, when I wrote Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013, I did the research back then, and I, you know, found out that 85 to 95% of startups would close, Right. We all know that startups are always at great risk. Those one to five years are the most vulnerable where a startup will go out of business. But guess what, Scott? When I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and 2020, I did the same research and I learned that the business landscape has changed dramatically. It's only 30%. It's a flip-flop. It's only 30% now of startups that will go out of business. Only 30%. Startups are at less risk. But out of 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business for 10 years or longer. 70% of those businesses will go out of business. Hmm. 70%. They're, they're failing That's a so they're, huge they're failing number. Later. They're failing What's much that? later. They're failing they're much failing later. They're failing much later. You said yeah. you just hit the nail on the head. It used to be, Scott, that if you were in business five, six, 10 years, you're golden, right? Yeah. You can write your ticket. That's not the case anymore. The business landscape has changed. Now, you hear about the public companies all the time, like Toys R Us. Been in business 70 years, gone. Kmart, gone. Sears, having trouble. JCPenney's, Montgomery Ward, um, Steinmart, Pier 1, GNC, closing on 900 locations. But what you're not hearing about are the private companies. Those are public companies. You're not hearing about the private companies on every street corner in every state, you know, across our great nation. So... The, the reason for this is because business owners are not, they stop doing one thing I call AIM, which is always innovate and market, always innovate and market because Amazon has changed the way that consumers purchase products and services. Amazon has made it so easy to purchase anything. You can practically buy a horse on Amazon and have it delivered to you in two days. Yeah. You know, so cut, so business owners have to keep innovating. Okay. Um, so the GPS exit model is set up for success. 
And and the problem with business owners is they don't think about selling until a catastrophic event has occurred. You know, they'll call me up when they say, look, there's a death, there was a death, you know, that the owner died, or there's health issues, or there's marital issues, we're going to have a divorce. Or COVID. You know, Jeez, or COVID. You know, yeah, yeah. Or a hurricane, or a tsunami, or a tornado, or fires in California. I mean, the list just goes on and on. The worst time to sell your business is when a catastrophic event occurs because the business is typically trending downward. So business owners don't have a plan. And the GPS exit is designed to plan your exit from day one of starting or buying your business. So number one, when you want to drive somewhere, what's the first thing that we all do now? We don't pull out maps anymore. You're too young to remember maps. But <laughs> now we pull out our phone, right? We pull out yeah. our phone. We plug in our destination. It's so easy these days. We'll plug in our yeah. destination and we tell our GPS where we want to go. Well, same thing in business. The business owners need to figure out their end game. They need a destination to drive to. They need to figure out what they want to sell their business for. So if they say, look, I want to sell my business for $20 million. Great. Now we have a start of a plan and <laughs> we have a number. We have a target, right? Now what does the GPS need to know? The GPS needs to know, well, where are you starting from? What's your current location? So business owners need to know their current valuation. Now, Scott, I've been in this industry for 20 years. Humans get physical annual checkups every year, right? Mm -hmm. The humans that want to stay on this earth for a long time. We take our cars into the shop and we get checkups on our automobiles. But we never get a valuation checkup on our business. It is financial suicide. Because there are things that happen that increase your valuation and decrease your valuation. COVID has decreased the valuation for a lot of companies, but there's other industries that it's increased the valuation for. So know your end game. I want to sell for $20 million. Know where you're starting at. What is your business worth today? Let's say it's worth $5 million. The problem is that business owners don't have a roadmap. So they drive around in circles going up and down the financial hills to end up nowhere or out of business. And that's what we want to prevent. So once you know your end game, $20 million, you know your current valuation, $5 million, now you need to know time frame. So let's say you want to do this in, in 10 years. Now we have a start of a plan. We need to reverse engineer it. Now guess what you need to know? Who your buyers are going to be. Mm -hmm. I say buyers, not buyer. So many sellers put their eggs in one buyer's basket, and I can promise you, in all likelihood, that deal will fall apart. So you need backup buyers. There's five types of buyers. So let me tell you who's not going to be your buyer. A strategic, uh, I'm sorry, a startup is not going to, a first-time buyer is not going to buy your business because your business is $20 million. Startup, first-time buyers cannot afford a $20 million companies. So mm -hmm. first time yeah. buyers is one type of buyer. Turnaround specialists are not going to buy your company. So it's either going to be a private equity group, strategic slash competitor, or a serial entrepreneur. Now you need to know, well, what's the numbers need to look like? For me to sell for $20 million, where's the gross revenues have to be? Where's the profit, profit margins? Most importantly, where does the EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization have to fall? So if you're going to sell for $20 million, your EBITDA is going to have to be around 3 to $4 million. Mm -hmm. Then you need to know what's the characteristics, what are the synergies that buyers will pay top dollar for. And then you build that business based upon, based upon that blueprint 
of what buyers are looking for. That's how you create a bidding war. So when you're ready to sell that asset in 10 years, you're ready. You're not having to start from the beginning. And then you need to know your why. Why do you want to sell a business for $20 million? Because how many people have come up with goals or New Year's resolutions, Scott, and they never keep them? <laughs> all of them. <laughs> all, all, all of them. them. <laughs> That's right. So you have to have a, and the reason they don't keep them is because they don't have a powerful why. The why has to be so strong that it has to keep you motivated. It has to keep you in the game. It has to keep you, you know, weathering the financial storms and all the catastrophic events that occur because they will occur. So you got to have a powerful, powerful why to keep you motivated. And then once you figure that out, start building a business on the six P's. Any questions on that? No. Well, I, I'm going to ask what the six P's are. I guess my question, because you work with a lot of entrepreneurs, is why is this not more common sense? Why is this not something that people like? It makes sense to me when you explain it. It makes sense to me to have the vision. It makes sense to me that even if you don't know if you want to sell, to aim for the KPIs and the milestones that would uh, that an investor would deem to be a, a purchasable business, because if your business is purchasable, purchasable, you're probably doing pretty well, right? You're probably doing pretty good. So it's, a good, it's a good goal to have. So why not? Why do people not take this into account? You know, common sense is not very common. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite sayings, too. <laughs> hey, it's Scott here. I just want to take a second to thank the sponsor of our show, Teachable. What is Teachable? Well, let me start with this. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that nothing is for sure. Nothing is a guarantee. Everything was flipped on its head, including our job security. A lot of people realized that brick and mortar had to move online, had to move digital. And those jobs that we've had for 20 plus years weren't so secure. So what do we do? How do you future proof? Well, you start your own thing. You build your own business. It doesn't have to be completely replacing your nine to five. It could just be a side hustle. But you are finding ways to productize yourself, your knowledge, and things that you can sell to people that can benefit them that will allow you to bring in multiple streams of revenue and income. So how do we do that? Well, Teachable is the platform that allows you to productize and monetize your knowledge. It allows independent entrepreneurs and creators to build and sell fully customizable online courses and services. You are taking what you know, you are building courses, you're using Teachable, and you are monetizing your years of experience. There are over 100,000 instructors and creators who have transformed their knowledge into world-class courses, and Teachable has paid out over $500 million. To help get you started, as a special offer for everybody who's listening to the podcast today, visit teachable.com backslash success and enter your email for a free seven-step guide walking you through the exact steps you can take to create your own online school and start making money based on what you already know. That's teachable.com backslash success. Enter your email for a free checklist to help get your online school started. And I think what happens, because like you said, I mean, it's so logical, it's so common sense that build a business, even if you don't want to sell it, at least you got a profitable asset that's making you money and it's on cruise yeah. control, right? Um, so I think the reason why, the biggest reason why is because business owners just get so stuck in the mentality of running their business, you know, and I call entrepreneurs firefighters because what are they really doing? They're in the business yeah. putting out fires every day. Lots of fires occur, right? 
And so a lot of entrepreneurs are wearing a lot of different hats and they're putting all these different fires and they're working in the chaos in the business versus on the business. You need to work on the business as a visionary and have an integrator that can carry out your vision and make sure it gets integrated, make sure it gets implemented. So I think business owners just go so stuck in their head. Plus they think, oh, this is my baby. I'll never sell my baby. You know, it just makes no sense. It's the same thing like a parent that has kids. What do we do? We plan for our kids, right? Where they're going to go to school, where they're yeah. going to go to college. And, you know, if we have, we do estate planning, we have a will, but we don't plan for the biggest asset. And I think it's just because business owners um, just have these blinders on and they don't, they're not thinking about their future. All they're thinking about is today. And that's why we have to change it because if we don't change it, we're going to have a lot more than 70% of businesses go out of business and small business is a backbone of our economy employing over half the U.S. workforce. If we lose small business, we lose our economy. Yeah, well, not only, um, and now, now with the, uh, the tumultuous nature of brick and mortar and, and wherever that's going to end up after, you know, pandemic and lockdown, um, I think that this, this future-proofing and planning is probably more important than ever. So, Absolutely, and you just you know, made a great point. This pandemic also changed the way that we purchase products and services. Yeah. It purchased what's, it changed what's important to us. It changed yeah. how we buy things. You know, Amazon changed it first, and now... The pandemic changed it even more. Nobody even wants to go to the grocery store anymore. No, I've gotten good at grocery delivery. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've gotten really good at it. It's uh, it's it's interesting how how much we've shifted, like our habits, just in the past year. Um, habits but, can shift and, very quickly, but the problem is the business yeah. owners are not pivoting enough to keep up with the shift in habits. And that's the, you mentioned that I, I've you know when you said that uh, aim, uh, what was it? Uh, what's the acronym? I, I like always it a lot. innovate Something. and market. Yeah, I love that acronym. It's so relevant. It, I think the last year's shown that it's more relevant than ever, but that's that's one of the the best acronyms I've heard to teach over to entrepreneurs for sure. Um Thank okay. You. The other thing I want to touch on, um, because it's obviously, you know, this is part of this framework, like this is part of, you know, exit rich and, and what you do for entrepreneurs is six P's. What are the six P's? I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash That's netsuite.com 
slash Scott Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, 
drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. I'm sure they're very valuable for entrepreneurs. That's why I want to go into them. So, yeah, they are very valuable. And let me tell you, even if you're not going to sell your business, if you use this foundation, you're mm -hmm. going to have a profitable business that can operate without you. So number one is people, right? People is number one. You know, you don't build a business, you build people, and people build the business. You got to make sure that the business is not dependent upon you because buyers want to buy a business, not a job. So you have to have the right people in the right seats. So many entrepreneurs want to do it there, do everything. You need entrepreneurs need to focus on their strengths and hire their weaknesses. Focus on their strengths, hire their weaknesses, and make sure you have the right people in the right seat. And then Scott, most importantly, ask the who question: Who opens the door? Who handles customers? Who deals uh, with marketing? Who handles uh, customer relations, yeah. customer service issues, legal, accounting? You know, workers' comp. Who handles environmental, logistics, transportation, manufacturing? I mean, the list just goes on and on. The clue is you should never be next to the who, Scott. <laughs> so the best way to build a business without you is to make sure you have answered the who and put the right people in the right seat and have a layer of management. <laughs> Most entrepreneurs are not good managers. A lot of entrepreneurs are not always good leaders. They're not always good at operations. So focus on your strengths, hire your weaknesses. And then the second P is product. And product is more crucial now than ever before. And that's the industry you're in. So you have to ask yourself, is your industry on the way up or on the way out? Are you thriving or dying? Do you have an Amazon or a Blockbuster? And if you have a Blockbuster, don't panic. This is not the time to panic. This is the time to align yourself with an expert and try to, you know, a lot of times an expert, an outsider can see things that you cannot see. Because when you're in your fog, it's foggy, right? You're in the middle yeah. of the chaos. It's hard to read the label from the inside of the bottle. Yeah. So I always say get an outsider's perspective and ask three transformational questions if you're in an industry that's dying. Number one, do what Amazon did. Number one, Amazon asked themselves, what business are we in? And this was years ago. We're in the book selling business. What do we do really, really, really well, better than anybody else? We do fulfillment better than anyone else. What business should we be in? We should be in a fulfillment business. 
they moved that quickly into fulfillment. Those three transformational. Now, remember, transformational. So many business owners are in transactional. You got to get out of transactional and become transformational. Those three questions took Amazon from a small bookseller to a multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. Okay. So those three transformational questions. And then the third P is processes. Processes. So, so many business owners, Scott, never really think about processes processes until somebody, something happened. You know, yeah. let's, say, let's say all of a sudden somebody gets hurt in a warehouse. Oh, my gosh, we need a process for health and safety. <laughs> yeah. Or clients get upset and they're bashing the company on the Internet. Oh, my gosh, we need a process for client customer appreciation, you know. Processes need to be designed from the beginning of your company. Have you ever watched a movie, The Founder, based upon the McDonald's brothers? McDonald's? Uh, with, um, uh, with Ray Kroc. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Ray Kroc. Did yeah, you watch that yeah. movie? Yeah, I did. I did. And that, he was, uh, he was uh, almost like obsessive about process, where he was timing how people were moving around the kitchen. That's what you're yes, talking but about. Even, right? before, yeah. even before Ray Kroc, the McDonald brothers... Back in the 40s, they had to drive up Sonic-type restaurants. Yeah. But back in the 40s, they never really perfected the processes, so the food was always cold, the order was always wrong, and it took so long. So McDonald's back in the 40s, without Ray Kroc, said, we want to design a restaurant, fast food restaurant, with the customer experience in mind. What is our customer objective? We want our customers to get great-tasting food that's hot, in two minutes or less. How do we do that? Do you remember when they went out to the empty tennis courts? This is way before Ray Kroc. I, I do, actually. Yeah, I do. I, I, now I'm, I'm thinking back. I, I had watched it on Netflix a while ago, I think. But I can't remember what yep. they did. But I remember the scene, sort of. They went to the t- empty tennis courts. They took all their employees. And they said, okay, let's figure this out. And they drew it out. And they erased it and drew it out. And they were there all day. I remember that. Until they finally now, yeah. figured out. Who takes, a, who takes the order? Who toasts the buns? Who, puts, who cooks the burgers? Who puts the pickles on the buns? Who gives the order to the clients? Two minutes or less. Those yeah. processes, now, yes, they get perfected as you go. Yes, they get tweaked as you go. But those pro- processes is why you can eat at a McDonald's in Singapore or McDonald's in, in Australia or USA because the processes are designed with the customer experience in mind. No matter where you are, it's the same experience. Yeah. It was almost right? like... Um... Yeah, it was almost like they got it to a, they were choreographing almost the the workflow of, of they were choreographing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I remember that. <laughs> and they did it with the customer experience in mind. This is a point I want to drive home to your listeners. So many business owners map their processes with their objective, not with the customers. And that's why they have a lot of unhappy clients. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of processes that really alienate us. Think about when you're trying to call your credit card company and you have to push all these buttons, you know. You have to push like 12 yeah. buttons before you can get a live person. That's not a good process. And there's so many processes. Think about how much business you do with other companies that really are like, oh, my God, that's a terrible process. They really should think, rethink that, right? Mm-hmm. Processes should always be designed with the customer experience in mind. Be productive, efficient, here's the caveat, well-documented in a policy procedure manual with SOP checklist. You'd be surprised how many companies, 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 million, that don't have good documented processes. 
Okay, mm -hmm. I can't even because, emphasize enough. Because how it doesn't matter if it's stuck up here in the CEO's head. It has to be something you can teach and something well, and you can replicate. Well, that's another. That's another brilliant point. We have a fabrication company we've been trying to sell for a little while, and the pro and I knew it was a problem when I took 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 it on, but I took it on as a favor to a friend. Two owners, been in business thirty five years, Scott, four employees. Where's all the data? In their head. <laughs> the reason we haven't been able to sell it is because the owners are like almost eighty, and the buyers oh are like, goodness. there is so much information in their head, none of it's documented. We don't know what to do after we would buy the business, how, how we would operate that business. So it's really important to get that document out of the CEO's head onto paper mm -hmm. so, you, so it can be duplicated, right? Yeah, no, very good. Okay, we got three Ps left. I wanna, I wanna make sure that we don't loot, run out of time because it's really good stuff, but we could probably go for longer. Anyway. So, <laughs> so we got what proprietary. Are the last three All right, yeah, so the, exactly. last two, the last two are quick. But proprietary okay. is going to take me a little bit of time because proprietary right. is the highest value driver. Proprietary can take you from a five multiple to a 10x multiple like that. <laughs> so number one in proprietary is branding. How well branded are you? The bigger the brand, the, the bigger the price. You know, as long as that brand, Scott, is relevant in the mind of the consumers. Is anybody going to pay anything for Blockbuster? Not not today. <laughs> not today. <laughs> Netflix, Netflix turned it down a few times uh, for for a couple. Uh, or who was it? Was it Nef no? It wasn't Nef Netflix was competing. Who was the one who? There was one company who. Uh, I think I think it was. Oh, I can't remember. Not I Netflix. Remember. I mean, um, there was a block. There was a company that offered Blockbuster to purchase to purchase Blockbuster, and I think they turned it down. Yeah, and they should have taken it. Story. And they were offered to buy Netflix, and they turned that down. That's, so two, yeah, that's, two the, that's what I meant, sir. Yeah, so they, they could have bought Netflix and they turned that down. Big, big, big mistake. And they also didn't aim. They didn't innovate. So, so branding is huge. The biggest brand in the world is, you know? Uh, I don't know. The, like the, well, I guess Amazon. <laughs> like yeah. everybody knows Amazon. I, I don't know. Tesla's up there right now. I, what is this? The, Apple. <laughs> Apple. Oh, I was, yeah, no, no, I see. I was, uh, sorry, I was looking up, I was looking up who offered to buy Blockbuster. I was trying to figure oh. out the name of the company. <laughs> sorry, I switched off, I switched off the video, my bad. <laughs> oh. Apple is the biggest brand in the world. The Apple brand is worth $189 billion, with a B, a billion dollars. That's without cash flow, that's without um, equipment, inventory, receivables, assets, anything, real estate. So build your brand, build your exit. Trademarks, Scott, very important, yeah. trademarks. Here's the problem in America. <laughs> business owners go start a business or they buy a business. This works on the buying side too. And they never check the federal database. They go and get a state trademark for their company name. They're in business 5, 10, 15, 20 years. All of a sudden, they receive a letter in the mail that says you have to cease and desist. Stop mm. using this company name because somebody else has your federal trademark. Spend mm -hmm. the $1,500 to $2,000 and protect your company name. If you have a podcast and you're starting to build some momentum, you better go trademark that. Get a federal mm -hmm. trademark. I registered Exit Rich. I registered the six Ps and the GPS exit model. Go protect your IP. Also, patents, huge, huge. Do you watch Shark Tank? Yeah, 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 I do. Every shark always asks what question? To inventors. Yeah, do you have a patent? Do you have a trademark? Yeah, yeah. Do you have, uh, yeah. Do you have a patent? Do you have a patent? Yeah. 
Yeah. So go out and get those patents. Very, very important to get those patents. All right. And we sold a company for $18 million that was losing money, but they had 18 patents. We sold it for a million a patent. The other things that are valuable are contracts, manufacturing mm -hmm. contracts, vendor contracts, distributor contracts, franchisor, if you have a bunch of franchisees. The most valuable of all contracts are client contracts because buyers want to buy cash flow and they want to make sure you have reoccurring revenue. You got mm -hmm. customers on contracts, so you know they're going to continue to get money for a year, two years, three years. Here's a caveat to contracts. They have to have the two-sentence transferability clause. If y'all haven't learned anything yet, learn that. <laughs> the two-sentence transferability clause because 99.9% .9 of all sales are asset sales, not stock. And if you have 300 contracts and they're not transferable, it literally could stop the deal in its tracks. And, and, and when you sell, what? and when you sell, is it is it normal that when you create these contracts, that's what you're setting up ahead of time, so that the the client can't exit the contract when the business sells? Correct. Correct? There was a franchise order that sold that had fifteen hundred franchisees. The buyers, net private equity group, by the way, never did their due diligence. The legal side never did all the due diligence. They never they did due diligence, but they never looked at the contracts. None of the contracts were transferable. They had this big party for all the franchisees. Two franchisees transferred over. All the rest of them started their own franchise together because they didn't have a non-compete because the franchise agreement was null and void because it was not transferable in the asset sale. That pet private equity group ended up going out of business, ended up filing bankruptcy, and suing their entire legal department. Wow. For not protecting wow, wow, wow. So make sure. So databases, really important databases. Databases are typically overlooked <coughs> by most advisors. You could be losing money, but you could sell. This is, what we're talking about right now are synergies. Mm -hmm. Databases is a synergy. Contracts are a synergy. Patents are a synergy. So you could be losing money and sell your database. Facebook paid $19 billion for WhatsApp. WhatsApp was hemorrhaging, but they had a billion users, right? So what I'm trying to get your listeners to understand is build these synergies because this is what gets you the highest price and this is what creates a bidding war. And then last but not least in proprietary, and I'm almost done with this, is what I call IP real estate. IP real estate. Let's say that you have a skincare line and you're on Oprah's favorite things and Oprah Winfrey has endorsed it. Do you know how much money that's going to get you for the sale of your company? Yeah. Let's say that you manufacture um, couches and furniture, and you're number one on Wayfair. Number one on Wayfair, number one on Etsy, number one on Amazon, any of those search engines is huge. Strategic will play a huge penny for that, okay? So that's it for proprietary. My fourth P is patrons, and that's your customer database. Most business owners follow 80-20 rule, where 80% of their business comes from 20% of their clients. Yeah. If they lose a couple of clients, then they can literally be out of business. So you want customer diversification, not customer concentration. A lot of businesses have customer concentration. Plus, if you're aging, if your business is, you know, 15, 20, 30 years, guess what? Your clients are probably aging out. So yep. you always have to aim, innovate, so you can get the millennials. The millennials don't buy the same way that baby boomers and Gen X buy. Okay. And then the last P, the most important P to entrepreneurs is profits. Everybody's in this to make money. But profits are never the problem. 
They're always the symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps. Clients will come to me and say, Michelle, I have a profit problem. I'm like, no, you have a people problem. Mm -hmm. You have the wrong people. You're trying to do everything yourself. Or no, you have a process problem. Your process is costing you this much waste, which is causing you to lose money. So profits is never the problem. It's always the symptom. And so if yeah, you're not making you're... money, go back and look at those five Ps. So that's, that's, that's really it. If, if somebody's focused on the profit, then they're all about the, the lagging indicators for why their business is failing. As it is a good indicator. KPI. When you, if you're yeah. not profitable, that is a key performance indicator that you're missing some of these five yeah. Ps. Yeah, very, very smart. And that's, like I said, I, I knew it was going to be a good framework. Those are all, like, those are all very good points. And I think that if you're and it's building common sense, though, right? It is. It is until it is until you're stuck in the day to day and you don't have time to think about it or you're stressed and you don't, you know, you keep putting it off. I'll, I'll reevaluate my, you know, my, my standard operating procedures later on. I'll reevaluate, you know, I'll re look at my workforce. I'll make sure that I'll audit my team, like all that. Right. I have to push that out till later because I'm, chasing a big client i'm you know i'm doing all these different things that i probably shouldn't be doing as a ceo or a founder that's so why you have to have an integrator yeah that's why smart. you have to have somebody because visionaries are typically not the integrators and you can't do everything yourself so you have to have somebody else that make sure your policies and procedures are intact mm -hmm. make sure that your ip is protected make sure you got checks and balances if somebody's not stealing money in your company i mean this happens all the time you yeah. know, I, I would say probably one out of five companies I've worked with had an embezzlement problem. Jeez, that's uh, it's surprising that, that that it's at that level. But if, you know, it's, it's, if the entrepreneur is not paying attention, then you can't just assume everyone's going to be trustworthy if they're given the accounts, the books, all that for, for years and nobody's paying attention to what they're doing. That's why you're going to so, have checks and balances and inspect yeah. what you expect. Trust but verify. Very good. Okay. Um, to close up, I have a couple rapid fire questions just to bring out some last insights from you, your career. Is there anything that was from your book or something, uh, something to do with what you do that you wanted to bring up that we didn't talk about? I do want to tell your listeners where they can go buy Exit Rich because we're in the middle of pre-sales. Okay, let's do it. I, actually, you know what? Tell them at the end. Tell them at okay. the end because you'll give your social stuff and they're going to go check you out and go get uh, the book probably on Amazon or wherever it's listed. But um, okay. Just um, what I'll ask you now, just a few rapid fire questions from your career, because I want to draw out some lessons. So somebody who is looking to work in M&A, right? I actually made the mistake of saying, are you competing with lawyers? Investment banks is probably a smarter thing to compare your, your work with. I guess I'm just thinking suits for whatever reason. But if somebody <laughs> wants to work in M&A, <laughs> you know, what do they do? What do they have to learn? How would they pursue a career like yours? Yeah, so the M&A world is, is not an easy world. It's actually a pretty tough world um, with about a 98% failure rate. So the first thing you want to do is not do it alone. You want to, you know, maybe find an organization um, that has, you know, multiple locations or somebody that's opening up multiple locations or go work in an M&A firm. You know, we're, we, we, we have a partnership program. So if somebody's looking to get in an M&A, they can partner with us. And we have, you know, a five-day training course. We have a 600-page training manual. We do all the valuations, all the sims, all the corporate head, all the corporate legwork here. And we provide all the leads and everything else. So I would just say don't do it alone. Go into business with somebody so you're in business, you know, for yourself but not by yourself because it is a tough industry. Mm -hmm. um, that's good and you advice. need credibility. The most important thing in M&A is credibility. What is one myth about selling a business? 
um, that you want to debunk? Um, one myth about selling a business that I want to debunk, that um, the sellers think they can do this on their own. Mm-hmm. It's like if you need heart surgery, you're going to rip up in your chest and pull your heart out and operate on it and stick it back in your chest? No. <laughs> I mean, selling a business is your most prized asset. You need an expert. There's too many yeah. things that can go wrong. Good advice. Um, a lesson that you would tell your younger self? Get a mentor early on. Align yourself with mentors and experts who've been down your path early on. You know, I didn't really start getting a mentor or start working with any type of mentors or leaders until probably 2011, 2012. Mm-hmm. Start that earlier. Yeah. Um, and then last I'll question. I'll probably be president of the United States if I had started earlier. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Although they don't make enough. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. Um, last question. In business or career, uh, what does success mean to you? Success to me means lots of referrals. <laughs> it means that I've really made an impact on somebody's life, um, that I've really helped somebody mm-hmm. succeed or helped somebody, you know, sell their legacy. Um, success to me means that I help business owners exit rich when so many of them are unfortunately exiting poor. I like that. I like that a lot because, you know, you're killing it from a professional point of view. You're making money. But it's a feel-good story at the end of the day, too. So right. it's, uh, it's, it is also very um, unselfish when you think about like, what you're doing. It's a good feel. It's a good feel. Um, okay. Uh, most importantly, where can people get the book, pre-order the book, check you out on social? I have all your handles, but li- like, list them off, and I'll put them in the links, too. Okay. So first and foremost, let me just tell them a little bit more about the book. I'm mm-hmm. really proud that Steve Forbes endorsed the book because that means Steve Forbes doesn't put his name on everything. Plus, the book is the Ink Original. I was surprised that he endorsed it when it was an Ink Original. <laughs> but and Because they publish books, too, Forbes does. And yeah, then Sharon Lecter is my co-author, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. She's a five-times New York best-time-selling author. Plus, she's written several books in the Napoleon Hill Foundation. She's a CPA, a financial literacy expert, the advisor to many different presidents. And her husband is an intellectual property attorney. So at the end of every chapter... You have her wisdom at the end of every chapter from her perspective and sometimes her husband's perspective, especially when we talk about proprietary. And then um, we have some really heavy hitter testimonials from like Les Brown, I love and adore, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins, Mark uh, Mark Victor Hansen, Jack Canfield, um, and Forbes Riley. You got some big names on there. You got some very big names on there. Good for you. Congratulations. David Meltzer. Yep. Some really, really big names. Um, And then... So where can I get Exit Rich? I can go to, and by the way, Exit Rich also is not just about selling. It's about building that foundation. But there's Mm -hmm. six or seven chapters dedicated to valuations and how to negotiate with each of the different types of buyers and what's the important negotiating um, techniques to each one of those buyers. Okay, Okay. so um, anyway, go to exitrichbook.com. We're in the middle of pre-sales. They can get the book right now for $24.79, which is less expensive than Amazon. We will email the digital download to them immediately, Scott, so they don't have to wait. And then when the book um, is launched, we will send a hardcover to their doorstep to anybody in the USA. Outside the USA, we'll send them the Kindle. And then they will all get a lifetime membership into Exit Rich Book Club. Exit Rich Book Club 
is video content of me training all these different principles, strategies, and techniques um, that I've built over the last 20 years. Plus, even more importantly than that, is documents. So a lot of business owners are like, Michelle, what do you have an, an example of an employee handbook or non-compete yeah. or an org chart or a policy and procedure manual? And then a lot of business owners are like, I don't even know what a, a letter of intent looks like or what a purchase agreement looks like or sample due diligence checklist or closing docs. And here's the thing about all these documentations. They're worth thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to get them created or to look for them on the web. And I have them all right there for your media download. So that right there was worth probably $25,000 right there. And then yeah. we also give them a free membership in the Club CEOs, which is a mastermind. It's, it's an entrepreneurial group where we do hot seats, Q&As, and things of that nature. Awesome. No, that's a, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you broke that down. I, I didn't realize there was so much to it. So you get, you get the book, but then you get a whole bunch of other. You get a whole, you bunch, get a of whole bunch of other, and you get the whole bunch of other now. Like yeah. you don't have to wait till the launch date. You get it all right now, and then we, we send this beautiful <laughs> 360 page hardcover to your doorstep. Okay. Amazing. 325 awesome. pages. And just to reiterate, it's not, you know, a lot of people come on the show and speak about books, and some of the books, you know, some of the books are just based on their life, and some of the books are, are highly specific to what they've done in their career. Just from talking to you, I feel comfortable saying that this is for, any entrepreneur, not just if you're exiting, obviously, but really like the principles that you're discussing. I've worked with entrepreneurs. I've worked in a lot of different business environments. And these are all things that people have to learn. So I right. think that, you know, that's a lot of value for a book. And I, I, I think I'll probably end up checking it out after this because uh, there's a couple things that I want to learn. I think I might have access to that mastermind group too. That'd be useful for me. So that's, uh, that's really good. That's really, really good. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you. There... And we're always adding more content to the library too. What are your what are your outside of the book? You have other places that people should go to connect with you, social uh, yes. website. So my website is SilerTucker.com. SilerTucker.com. And they can also text Michelle to 888-526-5750. And all of my social media will will pop up. So I have Twitter, YouTube, um, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. I have all that stuff. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own cost and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. 
costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. 
Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive, and I bet you we've all been there, and maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 